This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network and Modestway Don are not licensed brokers, broker-dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy, sell, short, cover securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value if we are long and fall if we are short. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to Avoiding the Crowd podcast with your host, Maj Sweet Don. I'm your producer, Robert Kraft. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft, B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And Happy New Year. Welcome back. This is it. Maj, Happy New Year to you. Noah, Happy New Year to you. What's going on? Happy New Year, Bobby. Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. We can get a little more enthusiastic. It's okay. We can we'll be happy see. it's a new year. All right? We'll find December. We'll see how happy we are. <laughs> we'll find out in December. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Well, you know, something that's been really rocketing, you know, since, I mean, well, the last 10 years, I guess you'd say, but especially in the last couple of months is crypto. Crypto has been, been going nuts. With that, we figured it was, it was time to do a crypto episode, talk about some of Maj's experiences, some of our guests' experiences as well. So Maj, I, I'm done talking. I, I'm going to throw it to you now. So uh, take it away. So um, that's why we're here today. That we're here to find out about this, you know, cryptocurrency and um, market in general, the universe, and you know, Bitcoin, and just ask uh, our guests some questions on that. And that leads me to Noah Goldberg. And uh, Noah, we've uh, met Noah through uh, Geo Investing. He came through um, an email one day, just wanted to chat, and we we talked about Geo and uh, what he's been doing and. Kind of thought I said maybe you know he could do some work for us as an analyst for some for a um, period of time uh, before he goes out and gets a real job, <laughs> and uh, so we're really happy to, that he um, agreed to do that, and it's gonna be really a really good you know seven eight months hopefully with Noah, and through, through talking to Noah I learned that um, part of what he did when he was um, going to college I guess I'm I think is um, kind of exploring the wonderful universe of cryptos and Bitcoin and. I think it's appropriate discussion because there's a lot of a lot of fraud in that in a space, a lot of misunderstood stuff going on in that space, and we're trying to. I like to understand and maybe how, how maybe he can give us some light on the good and bad of crypto, the legitimacy of it is legitimate, um, and I can talk about some of my experiences too. We'll get in that a little in, in a second. But Noah, why don't you tell us about yourself and really thank you for being here today and let's 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 kick it off. Yeah, for sure. I'm Noah. Um... I just graduated from Indiana University with a degree in finance. Um, spent the past five or six years researching cryptocurrencies and then got into uh, equity research my sophomore year of college after reading uh, Warren Buffett's uh, biography. And then started to focus more on micro caps. And that's kind of what brought me over to geo investing. Excellent. Awesome. Yeah, and I think too, what we'll do, uh, everybody, um, at the end of this discussion, um, Noah's going to give us a pitch on one of his stocks that um, he likes. Um, so that that should be pretty fun too. So that's all. That's how we'll end it. So no, let's talk about crypto now. I know for my, I got involved in it. Um, I kept saying no for years. I don't. I'm not getting involved in this. This you know, cryptos and Bitcoin and. The nano cap, microcap market was so soft for a while, and I said, you know what? Why not? <laughs> but, uh, it, it was a it was a tough few years, and I said in 2017, let me try it and put a little bit of money in it just to get exposed to it. And you know, made a lot of money and lost a lot of money, and you know, the whole time, you know, realizing that you know, there's uh, it didn't seem it seemed murky, um, it seemed like um, really a pump and dump kind of playing field, at least the cryptocurrency part of it. Um, like, like the altcoins, I guess. And, you know, um, we'll talk about why that doesn't make investing in altcoins doesn't maybe, maybe doesn't make sense um, for at least from my perspective. And I think you agree to some degree. Um, but you do believe, I think, in some parts of this whole kind of what's going on the technology, maybe. So why don't you explain to us, you know, when you, what is Bitcoin 
right? What is and what is what is cryptocurrencies and what is an altcoin and how do how does Bitcoin maybe differ from altcoins? Yeah, for sure. So Bitcoin is basically digital money, and really all that is is it uses blockchain technology, which is just like a digital ledger. So basically, um, it stores the history of transactions that occur on the network. That's what a blockchain is, very basic terms. And so when you transfer one Bitcoin to someone else, there's a documentation of that transfer taking place. And that's basically all it is. It's it's similar to any type of virtual money. It's just that like the reason Bitcoin is so hyped up and price goes up is primarily because it's the first cryptocurrency. But there's no real like underlying tr intrinsic value, I would say, to Bitcoin. Um, sorry, what else? Talking about altcoins. Yeah, well, so I mean, you're, what you're saying really, there's, I mean, um, so, you know, people talk about it as a store of value, and that's kind of, I guess, not what this really should be viewed at, right? But it, but it is viewed at some, in some degree. I mean, how do you how do you kind of combat that? And, I, and and Bitcoin's been here for how long now? I mean, it, what's how many years? When was Bitcoin actually established? Two one, two thousand nine. So I don't know, like 12, 12-ish years. So it's this is not just this is different than Tulip Mania. You know that you know Tulip Mania was here and you know kind of came and went. So how do you explain um, the, the the you know the popularity of Bitcoin and and, and it's so volatile? How can how can something so volatile have be a store of value? I guess. And, yeah. So just like explain the value of Bitcoin, I would say you kind of have to think about it as like a currency because there's no intrinsic worth to it, to Bitcoin, similar to like if you establish what's the value of a dollar, I would argue that the reason that a dollar holds value is because we all agree as a society that it does. I mean, ultimately, sure, the U.S. Treasury and Federal Reserve have assets, but a lot of that is dollar denominated. So, um, I mean, for dollars, you're pretty much saying... I value this dollar at its worth because I think that the U.S. government will preserve its worth. And for Bitcoin's case, there's not a government per se to say that it will hold its worth. It's mainly up to everybody that's involved in the Bitcoin ecosystem to agree that it's still worth something. So, so it is purely like just a speculation. It's just the more people that agree to it and the longer it stays around, the more likely it is to hold that value. That's kind of like what the Lindy effect says. Um, and so I think the the argument, like trying to reconcile store of value versus volatility, it's, it's worth considering that like the difference between like a dollar, I'm gonna constantly use this as an example because I think it's a good one, um, a dollar and like Bitcoin is that a dollar is an inflationary asset. Over time, more dollars will be um, created, whereas Bitcoin, there's a finite supply. And so when you think about what happens when you have a deflationary currency like Bitcoin, you're going to naturally have pretty large downside moves. And so like in economics, we talk about deflationary spirals for like the dollar. Like it would be very bad if the U.S. dollar were ever in deflation because it would make people not want to spend money because their dollar would be more worth more in the future, so they'd have more pricing power. So similarly, when Bitcoin's going down in value, there's less people that are going to transact it or use it because they think it's going to be worth more in the future, which lowers the total amount of transactions and lowers the health of the ecosystem. Um, so I, I would say that's generally why it's volatile. Another reason why I think you're going to have a lot of volatility is that because it's based or I, I would say that Bitcoin's a really reflexive asset and that Bitcoin goes up if people think it's worth more. And if people think it's worth more and Bitcoin then goes up, then more people are going to say, ah, Bitcoin's worth a ton. That's why like you have these huge momentum swings and why people constantly say like Bitcoin's a bubble. It's like, because in 2017, um, maybe it, like early in 2017, only a certain portion of the world was holding Bitcoin. But slowly and surely as Bitcoin went up in price, people wanted to chase that they kind of like FOMO. So I think those are two reasons why you have massive price swings. Excellent. Thanks, man. Yeah. So, and in terms of you, you think, um, 
uh, moving forward, I mean, right, right now you really, I mean, I know how, how, how much can you use Bitcoin now to buy things, you know, transacting things now? How popular is it becoming? Is it very limited still in its use? Um, and if it does become more um, widely used, does that start to be, begin to legitimize it as a digital currency and um, something that will be around for a long time? I, I think generally Bitcoin isn't used for transacting most things, kind of like how gold isn't used, this whole store of value narrative. Just because the main reason why I would say Bitcoin would have a hard time being used is something more close or similar to dollars that the transaction fees for Bitcoin are kind of too high and it would defeat the purpose. Like if I wanted to buy a cup of coffee with Bitcoin, I'm probably paying pretty close to that cup of coffee and transaction fees. So unless you're spent or like moving a very large amount of money on some type of purchase, Bitcoin probably doesn't make too much sense. Um, so I think there's other cryptocurrencies that could serve that purpose. And I think eventually that might be fixed with new technology like the Lightning Network that could be placed on Bitcoin. But I think we're a while away from like really thinking about Bitcoin as being able to be used interchangeably with US dollars. Um, I know PayPal, what PayPal is trying to do is create a system where like hypothetically, if I want to buy a cup of coffee, I can hold Bitcoin in my PayPal account. And before I buy that cup of coffee, it will just transact or it will exchange my Bitcoin for US dollars and then send the US dollars to someone. And because they have such a large amount of money or like PayPal as a whole, like they don't have to actually exchange through some type of exchange, the actual like Bitcoin for dollar and go through that transaction fee. They really can just use their treasury and avoid all transaction fees. So. I, I guess to answer your question more simply, I, Bitcoin's not going to be used for transactions, at least not in the near future. Really, all it's going to be used for is storing value. Okay. okay. Yeah. I know. I know there weren't like other other cryptocurrencies or other mechanisms where that they're they're trying to um you know what alleviate that expense um like, like you're talking the transaction expense and even like actually in terms of even uh, if we want to address the volatility, I think there are actually some you know current networks or cryptocurrency networks that were trying to um, immediately change, you know, and if there's a transaction uh, between like a, a yourself and a merchant, for example, um, it's, 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 it's quickly made into a, 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 a transaction in dollars, for example. Mm -hmm. I think I, I saw some of that where it, it take, they take away the volatility risk. Yeah, I think over time, as long as Bitcoin holds its value, people will be more incentivized to create systems to make transacting it more efficient. I I don't necessarily feel too confident that that's where we will end up though. Just cause like what I think works better are things called stable coins, which is basically like a US backed coin. So like every coin holds its value to US dollar and there's some bank that holds like a dollar for every coin they issue. Things mm -hmm. like Tether um, mm -hmm. and like US dollar coin. And so like, I, I could see that being similar to what we do in the future in terms of how we transact with these dollars. Um, but I don't know, I, I would look more, Bitcoin seems more like if I wanted to buy coffee with my, like Microsoft stock, for example, like it doesn't make too much sense to do, although Microsoft stock holds its value. Like, I, I'd rather just not go through that process. Right, okay, makes sense. But so, so really, just as long as as long as society believes in Bitcoin or believes it has it's, it's, it has some type of worth or use, it's going to stick around. I guess what you're saying. Yeah, and I would say that it's likely that it sticks around, especially with the traction coming out of like larger institutions buying into it. I I thought like I thought about it a while ago, thinking like super long term, what's the future of the cryptocurrency markets and like is Bitcoin gonna stay around forever? And although I'm not certain, I've definitely been convinced more so that its future will stay, even though like as technology evolves, Bitcoin becomes more inefficient compared to like the newest cryptocurrencies. There's just something about the first mover advantage and then it being around for so long that has people saying this is the store of value for cryptocurrencies. Yeah, I mean, if you look at a lot of the other, uh, the, the cryptocurrency market as a whole, Bitcoin, and this recent rally here where Bitcoin just took off, um, like from 5,000 to 40,000 or whatever, um, it was it was leading the way and a lot of other like the Litecoin, Ethereum took they're not even back there. I don't think they're back to their highs yet, but they were 
in 2017. And so you, you think you think it will eventually lift all boats in some in some in some um, corners over here of the, of the crypto market? I think like in terms of when you look at crypto Twitter and like the participants in crypto and Twitter is mainly the place where if you want to talk about crypto, that's where you're going to be. What we're looking for is what you would call alt season, which is when altcoins outperform Bitcoin and really how the cycles work historically, obviously low sample size because we've only been through like two or maybe three macro cycles. I think two um, Bitcoin. Uh, is the least risky asset out of all of the cryptocurrencies. I mean, still very risky, but because of that, Bitcoin's always gonna move up first in price generally compared to alt currencies. And generally after Bitcoin moves up so far, I mean, the participants that are buying Bitcoin have become significantly more wealthy and probably have a slightly inflated ego in terms of their perception of their trading abilities. And so naturally they're going to say, all right, I'm doing really well in Bitcoin. It's starting to slow down a little bit. So maybe I start looking at other currencies or other cryptocurrencies because I think that they have more upside potential. And so naturally, like people take profit on Bitcoin and move it into altcoins and then altcoins rally. And then naturally altcoins start to stall out and then people take profit on that and move it back into Bitcoin. It's just that's just kind of the cycle. So I I mean, 2017 when altcoins just outperformed Bitcoin, I think like Bitcoin dominance went from 90% down to uh, definitely sub 50%. Like I, I would have a hard time believing something like that takes place, but I do think that at some point in the next year or two, altcoins will outperform Bitcoin for some period of time. But I, I, I don't feel confident saying when that will be, although I, I'd like it to happen sooner than later. Well, the thing is, but we have a different wrinkle here, though, because in those first two type um, those instances you talked about, um, there wasn't really a regulatory environment that was, you know, um, unfavorable to um, digital currency, especially altcoins. And now you have Ripple having an issue now with the SEC. So, well, you think that that could that affect the, the altcoin rally and demand for altcoins because of the SEC involvement and regulatory involvement, maybe potentially getting um, more press? I think the real, I mean, if you think about who's being impacted by regulatory guidance and kind of rules, I, I would say more so in the U.S., you're going to have much more strict regulatory guidance, which could be a problem for U.S. investors, which already has been a massive problem. Like if you look at Coinbase, the main place where people in the U.S. are buying cryptocurrencies, they don't have nearly as many altcoins listed as other non-U.S. based platforms because the U.S. has been such a bad place for like listing cryptocurrencies because otherwise uh, like a lot of them are going to get marked as being securities and then are governed by SEC rules. So there's some securities issues there. But like I, I think as a whole, if you think about who is interacting with these cryptocurrencies, besides the institutions, a lot of these people that have the most amount of monies in, or have the most amount of money in cryptocurrencies are long-term holders that originally in Bitcoin that started to diversify into other streams of income or just are staying in Bitcoin. And a lot of those people, the original reason they got into Bitcoin was kind of like an anti-establishment that that's kind of, a, it's a niche audience of people. I think about the type of people that came into Bitcoin early on, like you're talking about dark web, for example, like a lot of people were using Bitcoin to buy drugs and do illegal things on the internet. So I, I don't think regulation is really going to stop those people. I, I would doubt that they even pay taxes on their cryptocurrencies, for example. But I do think regulations will make it difficult for like institutions and then some retail investors to get involved in. But I think as a whole, given that, the US at this point has been much worse for regulation than other places in terms of making it more difficult for cryptocurrencies. The US is at a, dis a disadvantage, whereas like, we're, if cryptocurrencies succeed, the US is going to not be able to take advantage of that much or take advantage of cryptocurrencies moving up compared to like other outside investors. And therefore like the GDP of the US as a whole is going to be negatively impacted compared to the rest of the world. So. I, I I would guess that 
regulation would get better in the U.S. in the long run if cryptocurrencies continue to succeed, because otherwise there's going to be an issue of like, are we missing out on the opportunity to boost our economy because of the cryptocurrency markets? So well, regu regulation couldn't eventually make it actually better at some point, right? If there's a clear picture of how to how this how this environment can be legal in the U.S. Don't you think? Yeah, I I mean like last week, um, I forgot which regulatory. Um, yeah, I forgot which group of people, but one of the U.S. regulatory systems said that banks are now allowed to use stable coins. So now they're able to use like Tether and U.S. dollar coin, which is a step in the right direction. I, I think there's going to be problems for specific types of cryptocurrencies for U.S. investors, which may cause a divide still. But I think longer term, I I would be willing to guess that regulation for cryptocurrencies will improve or at least make cryptocurrencies more accessible to the average person. Okay, I want to come back to that in a second. So we've been using a lot of terms here. So let's talk about, um, I mean, from my understanding, you have this, you know, you have like a transactional cryptocurrency like Bitcoin. I don't know if you really want to call it that, but uh, versus like a, util like a utility, like a utility coins, right? That's a word I think. So, yeah. so maybe you can talk about a pure currency coin versus maybe a utility if i'm if i'm even using the right terms here yeah so i would say for like when you're thinking about utility tokens it's kind of like what it sounds like they're tokens that you buy or cryptocurrencies that you buy that you can utilize the network for the cryptocurrency and so like as an example um oh there's like a insurance token um for example like nexus mutual i don't own it but it's so slightly well-known one. So basically the utility is this, like if you own Nexus Mutual, you can buy insurance with Nexus Mutual tokens. Um, and the insurance primarily is, has to do with like complex derivatives, but th that's kind of like the basic. It's you buy this token so you can participate in the network, which is like in this case insurance. But like hypothetically, if I had to, or if there was some type of like dentist coin, which said like you can only pay for going to the dentist with this coin which actually was a thing um in 2017 obviously i think every, I think every industry had a coin right and back in 17 there were all these little icos yeah and i think it was DentaCoin. obviously like that that's going to zero if it hasn't already but anything where there's a utility that requires the token or incentivizes you to have the token to participate in the product that's utility token and that's compared those are all as far as I'm concerned, I think for the majority of those, those don't really have regulatory problems. The real problems are security tokens because securities are governed by the SEC. So tokens that are giving off cash flows, for example, or that have ownership in something, that's where you get into trouble. And it's it's a shame because right now, the real thing driving cryptocurrencies right now is decentralized finance. Like that's one of the big buzzwords and so that's what's been so interesting to me is that there's cryptocurrencies right now that you could do traditional financial analysis on and figure out what they probably are worth based on their cash flows. And those are the ones that people in the U.S. are probably going to have a hard time investing in for a while. Interesting. So if we if we go back to that for a second, though, so you talk about the ownerships. Um, so in these utility coins, you're buying it for the utility, but you don't have an ownership stake in the company or any, or the cash flows. No, I you could, I mean, you could design this. You could design like a hybrid utility token that also is a security. Hypothetically, like anything could be coded in, but generally that's not the case. And the value of that utility coin will increase and decrease depending on the demand for that coin and demand for you for using it in the network. Yes, the demand the. Price of that coin would probably be directly correlated. You would in like the long term, assuming an efficient market, um, with the value of the network or the product. Like for example, if in the dentist coin, like if I said there's a fixed rate of ten dentist coins for every dentist use, I could pretty much just figure out the value by saying, okay, how much does it cost to go to the dentist, and then divide by ten. Okay. Okay. So the key too is that. Well, in these um, utility or just in, in crypto in general, I mean, is there usually a finite amount of supply or can they increase supply over time? Is, there, is, that, is that that dilution risk um, present in cryptocurrency like it is in this in the equities? Um, it's always or 
it depends. Like in Bitcoin's case, there's a finite supply of 21 million tokens, but for other networks, there can be inflationary devices. This kind of comes into like what's referred to as token economics, which is like the economics of how the tokens govern. And they range vastly. I mean, some have fixed inflation mechanics, say like we're going to increase total supply by X percent. Um, some are even like burning tokens. So whenever like tokens are used on the system, a set percent of those are just deleted from existence. So kind of like buybacks almost. But I would say for the most part, you know what you're getting into when you buy the token. Like a lot of them or all tokens will tell you what the token economics are. So like if I'm buying Bitcoin, I, I know that it's going to be a finite supply. If I'm buying something that says it's going to increase uh, inflation at 2% a year, I could bet it will increase inflation at 2% a year unless um, a hard fork or like a complete change of its governance is created. And to do that, you need pretty much like over 50% of the network's approval. So, I mean, it, it's much safer in terms of your expectations for dilution than um, stocks or I guess certain stocks. So you, do you see any, I mean, I, I definitely can see if I see a re, I mean, on a security token, you can see a reason maybe for eventually wanting to have those uh, own that kind of coin, right? If it's a, if it's a good business making money, but I do, do you see utility coin as having any really purpose? Um, and why would you, why would you want to use a dental coin versus going to the dentist and paying, you know, paying you know, dollars? Yes. So for the utility, it's highly dependent on what the utility is. For the example, like in the Denticoin, the reason Denticoin, and I, I don't want to say this exactly how it is. I know it's dentist related, but I'm not sure it's this exact dynamic. But like in the case of Denticoin, it doesn't make sense because why do you need a blockchain? Why do you need a cryptocurrency for going to the dentist? But for things where the utility is directly correlated to a blockchain, um, for example, I'm, I'm invested in uh, the graph protocol. Uh, ticker GRT. And what they do is, um, let me think, it's kind of a complicated one. So I'm trying to think how to explain this simply. Basically, they make it easy for you to aggregate data that's on different blockchains. Um, and so in order to aggregate that data and index it, you need to have the graph tokens to participate in this utility. And so in that case, there's really no way to do what their what their use case is anywhere else. So you're kind of forced to get involved in this cryptocurrency. And I think something like that, the utility makes a lot more sense. So utility tokens that deal with the blockchain and the whole cryptocurrency type of um, network, um, how um, I guess I'm, I'm just talking about my head and probably doesn't make sense, but versus real what we would do in everyday life maybe or has you're saying it should be related to the blockchain somehow it kind of so i would say for the average like if you just thought of like any type of business most businesses don't need a blockchain but some do like for example insurance isn't necessarily specifically blockchain related but there's a lot of reasons why having insurance or like some type of um insurance on a blockchain makes sense. Same same as real estate. So so there are use cases that aren't specifically blockchain use cases, but could use blockchain to improve how they operate, in which case there could be a utility token that makes sense in certain business models. So, 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 how, would, so how would that work? So let's talk about the insurance industry. Um, why would a, the blockchain be good for them? And how does a utility coin play into that for me, for example? Um, or any, or if you don't want to use insurance, you can use a different industry potentially, or that you might. Yeah. Let, let me, let me stay with real estate actually. Cause I, I think it's pretty easy to understand how blockchains play an interesting part of home ownership. So if I think about how I'm transferring the deed of my house, hypothetically, if I owned a house, I don't, but it's, it's an inefficient system and there's not a, it would be much easier if I could just go on a digital ledger that I know is completely secure and look up, okay, who is the owner of this house? And then with the click of a button and we both sign something, it transfers that ownership to me. And all of that is displayed openly on a ledger and cannot be hacked into. I, I think that's a more efficient system than going through all the paperwork 
um, that currently is is how home ownership transfers work. So something like that, like I don't know okay. necessarily if, if a token necessarily makes sense in that model, other than like maybe a token to represent the actual house. But I think blockchain technology can be used for a lot more than just what you might think, like uh, creating applications on a blockchain. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. And now, but the, 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 but for it to have the applicant and the real estate you're, the you're talking about, you know, you need in order for it to be useful, you have to have a lot, you have to have um, a lot of deed recording happening on the blockchain anyway, right? So if it doesn't, it doesn't matter unless, you know, real estate companies or realtors or, or the system actually accepts the blockchain. So it has enough data on there, right, to be able to do that. To, to collect and to do your uh, and to um, do, do if this we're ownership. If we're talking about large scale um, change in the real estate industry, like governmental change, so that all um, all deeds are on a blockchain, then yes. I I think on a smaller scale, if you're thinking about can a real estate company use a blockchain without having to go through all of that, that's also I I would say there's possibilities to use it. It would just be a different use case. Um, so maybe my example is kind of more overarching, of like a societal change, but I, I think there's smaller use cases, um, okay. for blockchains. I think it makes sense what you're saying, you know, but for sure. I mean, I, I had to go through a real estate transaction during COVID and it was a freaking mess, you know? Um, and it was because of this, you know, the, the delay in recording documentation and then, um, um, just finding it. So we had to hand deliver um documents to get the deed and then they couldn't find a deed so it was crazy um so i do see use for it um and i think it has maybe maybe years from now this becomes a standard right because i guess it, it does save the industries that might use it money right it does save money and time and it actually um increases um makes it more convenient for the consumer to trans uh, to, to do some of these transactions or or participate in some of these um, services right yeah i i think a lot of like the real use cases or the ones I'm interested in, a lot of them have to do with the financial industry. Like I, I would be scared to be an investment bank when probably everything that they do can be done more efficiently in a decentralized manner through mm -hmm. cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. um, so I think things like lending, especially like cryptocurrency or using a blockchain for lending just makes more sense than the current model. Um, I mean, money transfers compare an ACH transfer to using a cryptocurrency, just even, even like credit, even verifying credit, credit, right. Trying to, I, I know there were some, um, some lending platforms out there that were trying to, um, um, use their network to be able to quickly verify credit and, um, and more actually have a better, a better success of doing that, right. With less fraud. Yeah, and then also, if I think if you think about credit and how we establish a credit score, like I think at some point creating like a more social credit system also probably makes sense. Whereas, like, okay, if you can like hypothetically, if you have ten people on a blockchain and you establish that they're all somewhat connected to each other, and there's some type of lending protocol, and I one of these nine people say, I want to borrow money and I don't necessarily have like my credit score published to this blockchain. If nine other people are willing to verify that I'm a trustworthy person, then I have some type of social credit score. So I, I think that could also be probably valid in terms of lending. Whereas like we create some type of system where it's hard to do insidious activities when we're backed by all of our friends, for example. I'd like to be manipulated too, though, right? It, yeah, I mean, it's it's easy to say like it could be manipulated. So then it just comes down to how the system's built. Like if there's a way to verify identities where the only people that could access this system um, or like say that you need to be an active participant on and Ethereum ecosystem, which is a cryptocurrency. And the reason I choose Ethereum is because it has smart contracts, which pretty much allow people to say like, if 
then protocols. So like if someone sends me X amount of money, I will send them X back. Um, if we could then just look at like, okay, these are the transactions that occurred on this person's specific wallet. They've transacted X millions of dollars. Therefore, there must be some validity. I, I think things like that can mitigate some of the issues of fraud. Um, but I, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, so so back to the um, securitization. So, what what is the reason that um, these a, a token wouldn't want to like a, I guess the developer or however whoever you want to call the however you start a token wouldn't want to go through a securitization process with the SEC? Um, I mean, other than it being costly, I don't even know what the pro if they have a process for security tokens. Like, I, I don't think there's any security tokens that are valid so i i don't even know if that process exists that that's where i think the main problem is um but hypothetically if there was a process where these tokens could pay like a small amount of money because it would have to be small um to be audited and then say that this is a valid security token then that's probably what the procedure would be right. i just don't think the procedure exists Good, good. And I know, like, so, um, so, um, getting back to, and I want to, so I want to be, be uh, kind of, um, confirm one thing here. So in the beginning, beginning of the um, podcast here, I had said, maybe you're not too bullish on the, on the sector, but you, you, I guess you do see places to invest in cryptocurrency. And, um, and I want to, I don't want to tell everybody how you're negative on it. So maybe, you, there is a place you think for some risky money to be allotted in the cryptocurrency market. And... Yeah, I, I think there's, I'm going to get to two points, but the first one is my explanation of Bitcoin versus other altcoins. And I didn't think of this myself, so I can't take credit, but I think it's a good way to think about it. So if you think about cryptocurrencies kind of similar to like a cap M model, so like betas basically, um, Bitcoin obviously is going to be the lowest beta out of all assets There's in terms of cryptocurrency. So Bitcoin is the least risky cryptocurrency. And so if I were to invest in these other cryptocurrencies, altcoins, I would want a higher required return, right? Um, but if you look historically, no cryptocurrencies are performing better than Bitcoin. So you're taking more risk to invest in other cryptocurrencies and you're not compensated with more returns. So that that's generally why I have a hard time thinking about like investing in cryptocurrencies other than Bitcoin, just because that proposition until it changes, you really just aren't compensated for that risk. But that being said, I think now things are different. And I don't, I know every time someone says like this time's different, generally it's not different, but if you think about the projects that were around in 2017, a lot of them were promising an idea, but they were promising to be able to do it years from now. There was no, for a lot of these coins and a lot of these cryptocurrencies, you were pretty much betting on them being able to figure out the technology to then be able to create this use case. And so there was a lot of forward expectations. And if you compare that to the market now, there are real use cases with main nets online that people are currently taking advantage of and some of these are putting off cash flow like the one i'll talk about um and i own this one it's called sushi token it's a decentralized exchange token the symbol um, on that one uh sushi s-u-s-h-i that's a symbol okay. yeah and so it's a decentralized exchange. And so basically it's an exchange that no one has ownership of. And the, like when you spend your, or when you transact, like if I want to exchange Ethereum for, um, I don't know, Bitcoin, it's not exactly how it works, but um, not worth getting into it. Let's say hypothetically on this exchange, I want to exchange Ethereum for Bitcoin at no point Am I turning over my Ethereum to the exchange to then send me Bitcoin, which I then withdraw? It's always in my own wallet. So that that's kind of what makes it a decentralized exchange. But so this token, um, they created decentralized exchange and five basis points um, 
you, so the fees on this exchange, when you transact through this exchange, they take a percentage of um, whatever you transact in fees. I think it's five basis points. Those five basis points are then given out to uh, sushi stakers. So people that own sushi that are locking it into the system. And so that's real tangible cash flow. You're, the exchange gives five basis points. It, it takes five basis points in, in fees and distributes that to the owners of its token that are staking it. Staking is just a model pretty much like locking or not transacting the token, just holding on to it. I don't want to get too more complicated or too much more complicated than that. Just take it for what it is. Um, so if you own this token, you're, you're given five basis points of the fees that this decentralized exchange has. And um, let me pull up the data, but I, I think like if you take a look or take a look at the fees in the market cap, for example, um, sushi token, the market cap is $471 million and they were doing 500 million in um, 500 million in exchanges on daily yesterday, maybe. So 500 million, that is, I think that's $250,000 in fees generated for a day. And if you think about the annualized for 365 days, you're talking about um, $91 million. That My math could have been off. I'm just thinking about that kind of like in my head. But you're talking about like a pretty reasonable PE ratio, whereas your your bet is basically just that the exchange volume on this decentralized exchange is going to continue. And so something like that, like it's it's pretty reasonable to say like I'm willing to take this bet on this company hypothetically. Like whereas like last time you were betting on pretty much thin air, just the prospects of what a project could be. But now you've companies giving off free cash flow, and I think that's what's more interesting about altcoins now. So that's giving that that's but you're participating in their cash flow if you own the coin, right? Yes, in that, in this case. And does that become an issue with the SEC? Is that become yes. <laughs> okay? Okay. I, I I think so. I have to look into it to be honest. I I would guess that there's an issue. I, I guess the real question is, is it an issue for me or is it an issue for this token? And I think generally it's an issue for the token. That was my next question. Is like if you are if you invest in these tokens. As an investor in the U.S., can you get in trouble by the SEC or fine? I would, I would doubt it, just because it's it's not my liability. It, it's the token's liability for existing, and I, I think that's just how I think about it. I could be wrong, and they could get in trouble, trouble for like selling for for maybe selling the to or marketing the token to a U.S. investor, for example. So you're putting that yes. risk by buying it, probably more than. Yeah, I I would say. Unless the U.S. government says you can't buy sushi token, I would guess there's no problem. Like my hypothetically, I would say that sushi token probably the SEC will have a problem with. They haven't said they have a problem with it yet, so that's kind of where we're at at the point or at this point. Like, I they haven't said I can't own it, basically. Right. Okay. And you do when you're buying these tokens, are you doing it through VPNs? Are you are you doing it? Through your own browser? How um, I just use decentralized exchanges. I mean, that I, I use Sushi Token to buy Sushi Token. <laughs> or I use the Sushi Exchange to buy Sushi Token. I mean, it basically, if you have an Ethereum wallet, you can just go on to any of these decentralized exchanges and exchange your Ethereum for basically whatever you want. Um, so you're making money on this, on this token? uh from where i bought it sure yes i because I, I mean i i participate in the cash flows and then I, so i get um like it's an interesting value proposition i get any token appreciation in price so right now it's a 373 so if it goes up i make money and then also i get more sushi token every day that i hold on to because i'm staking it so it's kind of like dividends i'm getting paid in dividends and then i'm also getting the token appreciation okay that's awesome, man. So and there's and there's so this is would you call this an exchange token? Is it is it a, yes. exchange, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah that was one of the areas those. I wanted to explore was you know, and if you are gonna um if I was ever gonna get this again, um I thought maybe these exchange tokens are a pretty interesting place to look to maybe um build a portfolio. Like 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 Binance, for example, BNB, I think is one of those, which I don't own by the way, but 
Yeah, I, I think exchange tokens have their value. But I, I think a lot of that you probably think much more in the future. Like I, I think that's probably why things like sushi token are seemingly so cheap. It's because I'm betting on some type of perpetual future for sushi token. Whereas five years from now, I mean these exchanges could be completely different. Like hypothetically, if Nasdaq says, "All right, we're just going to do what Binance does," I would bet Binance would have a hard time continuing. So. There's value in Binance, sure. Like the transaction volumes on Binance and like FTX, another big exchange with an exchange token. Like these these exchanges are having great volume. So their tokens, I mean, definitely should have value because they lower, basically what the exchange tokens do, they have other uses, but primarily they lower the fees for the exchange. Or like if you were to transact on the exchange, if you hold this token, they'll charge you a lower fee. So that's the utility of it. And it's so it's not a security. Um, it's just utility token, so it's legal. Um, and so it, it holds its value if Binance succeeds, basically, in, or FTX succeeds. And so if you feel comfortable with them succeeding, then there's probably value to it. But I, I don't, I wouldn't be betting like long-term or if i was betting long-term i'd definitely want to be doing due diligence as to like what does the nasdaq plan on doing what are these big players like big centralized exchange planning on doing in the cryptocurrency market the second sec gets the go ahead so can you can you short cryptocurrencies Is there yeah a- so in 2017 it was much harder to do that but derivatives for the cryptocurrency market have become much more advanced. Like the option markets and cryptocurrencies have become a much more important part of the pricing dynamics. Similarly, like for futures and perpetual swaps have also become increasingly important. So now you could definitely short any cryptocurrency you want for the most part. That's awesome. I mean, I mean, most of them are probably um, you go, I, would you would you say most are going to zero? I mean, if you look at if you look certainly, at- yeah, like uh, it's just a numbers game. There's uh, on CoinGecko, it's just like a website that lists um, data for these uh, coins. They have six thousand one hundred thirty-five coins. There's more that aren't listed on there, certainly, but um, I don't know. There's probably not going to be more than a hundred cryptocurrencies that will be around five years from now that are on this list the same as how it was in 2017 i mean when i think about all the names that i was trading in 2017 um they're all the tokens all still exist but most of these teams don't exist anymore their use cases are never became realized i I think you're constantly going to see that if you just like look at like what were the top 100 cryptocurrencies by market cap year over year you're probably going to notice that like Top five, top 10 stay the same, kind of. In some cases, still no, but like the other 90 are just constantly shifting, going down. So the farther you get out, the smaller these tokens get, the more like, likely like they're going to the, zero. The OTC, like pumping up OTC, you know, even though there's a lot of illegitimate companies out there, they, they the market still exists for them. So yeah i i would say though that the real issue with like saying like oh this there's a really good uh good trade and just shorting cryptocurrencies is that the ability to pump the price up on one of these coins and force you out of your position is much higher for cryptocurrencies um mostly because the order books are so illiquid like with the us i mean i guess it's still the case for a lot and of transparent people. too right yeah that, and they're out. also transparent i mean obviously you can create your own um algos to hide orders but for the most part yeah it's it's transparent so i i would definitely not be comfortable just like blindly shorting scams and like in fact i think if you want to think about like what's a great way to make money in a bull market in cryptocurrency i would say you just buy scam coins that's <laughs> right. what's always worked if you look like last weekend for example i think Bitcoin SV was up 75%. Bitcoin SV is like, uh, for the people that don't know cryptocurrencies, it's like basically like fake Bitcoin. Like it's just a really, no one uses it. It's just <laughs> awful, objectively. Crazy. I know in CS17, there were a lot of these um, Ponzi scheme coins. I remember the, 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 what were they? The, 
Big Connect was one of them. Big Connect, oh, yeah, yeah those, those guys. Yeah, there was a few other ones where there were a bunch of them. Big Connect was a big one, right? And that kind of like peaked when Bitcoin kind of, that was one of the things that really caused, I think, a lot of uh, the cryptocurrency market to fall when, when, when Big Connect kind of um, fell. And uh, why, why don't you explain what Big Connect was? People can be aware of it to avoid these kind of scams, but they do want to get involved in, um, and do these, do this, does a Big Connect, is that Big Connect type of scam still running today in, in anywhere? Um, yeah, so let me get the first one, I'll get to the second part. So BitConnect, basically, it was a token that I, I think the mechanism was that it said, we will increase the value of our token by 100% every day. That I think that was the value proposition of BitConnect. And so to people that had no finance background, they're thinking, wow, I could double my money every day. Like, I don't know what the annual returns of that are, but hypothetically, you could be making a ton of money if what they promise is true, just, it's just not how you can't force the value of a non valuable item to continue to go up. You're pretty much just hoping that people continuously buy into this and are able to say like, were, okay, yeah, it's worth yeah, it. They were guaranteed, they were guaranteed these insane rates of return every day. Right. And so you would, you would like, I think you would buy the Bitcoin and you had, it had, you had, a, it had, a, it had a, it had a lock up period too, I think on it. So you would buy this and, you couldn't really cash out when you wanted to cash out. It all looked like you were getting coins, I think, and getting getting interest. You couldn't cash out. <laughs> yeah, and so, I mean, those don't exist too much today. I mean, a couple of years ago, even like 2018, 2019, there were things that like, there's a coin called Proof of Weak Hands, which is basically just a game theory game where it was just like BitConnect, but we tell you ahead of time, this is not real. It's purely a game to see like, to see, it, it, I'm trying to think how to explain it. You're everybody goes into this game knowing that it's worth nothing. The owners say it's worth nothing, but it can create value, and you're just hoping that you're not the greatest fool because you're just continuously passing on your currency to the next person making money. But um, other than those things, like I, I don't think anything is blatant as BitConnect has come out more recently. Although, I mean, if cryptocurrencies go up i'm sure there's going to be a ton more scams that start to pop up but um the the scams have become much more complex they like very not incredibly complex but still like to even explain how the mechanism of getting scam works like it's just really hard to explain to people like um right now there's these things called liquidity pools. So basically how a lot of these decentralized exchanges operate is they use these things called automated or automated market making models. So basically they have market makers, but no one's, but they're not real people. The market making is purely like, okay, I hypothetically, if I want to make uh, or make the market for an Ethereum versus Bitcoin swap, I'm going to deposit equal amounts of Ethereum in Bitcoin into this market making wallet. And this is a very simplified version. And this market making wallet is going to say, okay, we're going to always make sure that the value of Ethereum in this wallet is the exact same as the value of the Bitcoin in this wallet. And so naturally, whenever the price of Ethereum goes up relative to Bitcoin, the wallet will naturally have to place an opposite trade because it has to stack or it has to sell Ethereum and buy Bitcoin to re uh, to revalue the wallet into this 50-50 ratio. So Basically, that's that's automated market making. It's a wallet that just constantly readjusts pricing whenever prices change. So it naturally just floods the orders into the system. And so when you have a pair where it's like, okay, it's a, a well-established token like Ethereum and the automated market making is, or the liquidity pool is for Ethereum versus insert scam token here. Basically, um, how you're going to get scammed is there's going to be some type of loophole in the token, which allows you to force the token to be lower in value, right? Like, and so the scammer, whoever created the token, generally it's the people that create it, they're going to sell out all of their tokens onto this illiquid market. Nobody's going to buy. But the thing is, because all of your tokens are locked up in this liquidity pool, when they dump these tokens onto you, you're, the token's going to go down in value, right? Relative to Ethereum. And so your automated market making is going to say, oh, we have way too much Ethereum, too little of this token. I'm just going to buy all this token to readjust the balance. So you don't even know that you're buying into this token or getting dumped on. The, 
the automated market making is just going to force you into it. So like the, the complexity of these scams has gotten much higher. And so definitely it's like a retail participant or someone that doesn't understand these concepts. Like it's going to be hard to figure out what you're buying into. Yeah. So I guess the, the, for a novice investor, if they do want to get involved, it's just by, I mean, I guess just buy Bitcoin, Ethereum, maybe some Litecoin, I guess. And I just don't think the average person needs to, try to get higher returns than what Bitcoin could be offering relative to other cryptocurrencies. Like, I don't know what historically the IRR of Bitcoin is, but if you really need investment returns higher than Bitcoin, you shouldn't be investing your money. That's that's what I would say. So, yeah, I, I think for the average person, investing in Bitcoin is where to stay. Because really, I mean, if you're not investing in Bitcoin, your alternatives besides the most well-known cryptocurrencies, like Ethereum, I think is another, like, kind of safe bet safe is relative in cryptocurrency um but it's it's basically just a vc landscape like venture capital when i when i'm buying things like sushi swap i'm i'm spreading my bet super thin i'm not taking a large position because the future of this coin is probably nothing now, let's say it's a five percent chance that this investment succeeds but the upside is super high that that's really what it all is so i i mean for myself i'm just diversifying a across a bunch of things that I think have potential or like fair risk versus return ratios. But for the average investor, unless you're willing to spend all this time researching a ton of different cryptocurrencies across a ton of different domains to get that diversification that you do need, you shouldn't be investing in cryptocurrencies besides the biggest one if you feel the need to invest in cryptocurrencies. Great, great. So, you know, you know, at Geo, we do these model portfolios on, on, on for stocks, nano cap, mayor cap companies. Uh, would you feel comfortable at all doing a, a model portfolio of, of crypto for anyone who did want to get involved in it? Or like a five to, a five to 10 stock uh, uh, cryptocurrency model portfolio? Um, yeah, the, the trading in it would probably be somewhat higher than what your model portfolios look like for certain just because like if it's not going up i don't want to buy it for the most part that's kind of like i'm using a lot more technical charting i'm so basically I, my system is i've researched the fundamentals like do pretty much standard like equity research process for these cryptocurrencies and then i buy when i think they're going to go up which is like technical analysis using charts if you believe in that um and so if it's not going up or my thesis for what price needs to do to go up changes, then I'm selling. So it, that would be part of it. Then also like, if I'm, it, we, we probably have to research this, but like, if I'm able to say like the model portfolio is investing in this token, which could possibly be an issue for us investors, then that also could come into being an issue. But I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a problem doing it, I guess it would just, we'd have to research it more. And we'll talk about it. Um, so what, what do you think I like, you know, the people like Buffett and who say, you know, this Bitcoin is worthless and other naysayers. Um, well, he's right. It, it, it is worthless. I, or I guess the intrinsic value of Bitcoin is worthless. Like I, if, if Buffett bought Bitcoin, I would be pretty irritated with Buffett because it goes against everything he's ever said, which is buy what you know and buy things that are worth more than what you're paying for them, generally speaking. So, I, I mean... You can be right in saying that Bitcoin's worthless, hypothetically, like if what you consider worth is intrinsic value, but if you consider the current market price of Bitcoin as the worth of Bitcoin, then I would say it's probably not worthless, but. Right, okay. But to be clear, you do believe in blockchain, even if you have if any kind of criticism you might have for cryptos, you believe in the, in the value of the blockchain and what it, what it, what it accomplishes. I think digital ledgers, which is basically what blockchains are, have their place. It's just like a technology tool. We're just super fast. Or I think we're really focused on blockchains, but it's the same thing as like, I don't know, like a super niche topic of AI. Like we've just decided that this is what we're going to spend all of our time focusing on and like creating an entire economy around it. So I guess like any digital tool or future technology it obviously has its place in society i just don't know if we need to be spending so much time focusing on it or spending so many resources to focus on it because ultimately like blockchains are a, are a technology and with technology eventually there's going to be some improved 
process that eliminates the needs of blockchains or changes what we consider the frameworks for a blockchain. Mm -hmm. so, so, so you're saying that at some point blockchain and it's kind of becomes, um, I mean, I don't want to say useless, but something, something new comes along to replace it. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say something like new comes along to replace blockchains. I just think like, for example, Ethereum was, I don't know when Ethereum was created, but they created the computer code solidity to code these, uh, to code Ethereum and then created smart contracts, which is like the most basic if then statements for how you send money. Like if we think about like, all right, now if I wanted to create that, how easy is it? I, I would say it's ridiculously easy and the code solidity is no longer used by most people. Like it's just an inefficient computer code. And so I, I guess blockchain in the future isn't going to um, no longer be valid. It's just the way that we code them and how we think about what a blockchain is might be completely different. Like the technology is going to evolve. Okay, great, great. All right, man. So that's awesome. I think we've, uh, that's, we've we took a lot of, it's going to take a lot to sink in. So I mean, if we have any more questions, we'll come back again and talk about it. Uh, so why don't you end it with, uh, with your, what's, what's your like 90 second pitch on G-A-I-A, is it the symbol? Yeah, so Gaia Inc. Um, Gaia oh, Inc. is like an alternative content SVOD service. So think like Netflix, but for yoga um, in like Far East medicine kind of, like health and spirituality, and then some conspiracy theory content. And so, um, I mean, really... The thesis is that Gaia, although they're super small, is not going to have trouble from the big players in the SVOD service like Netflix and Amazon because the people that watch Netflix and Amazon may have a problem with the content that Gaia produces. So I don't think Netflix is going to try to produce that content. Um, and so that advantage where they're kind of in their own niche and they don't have really many competitors, um, gives them kind of moat. And then I really think like, if you look at the cash flows of this company and its growth, if you think five years in the future, there's a pretty good case for them producing about a buck 50 a share in, um, in earnings per share. Uh, so I think like if you look at the stock price it's trading at 10 bucks right about. So you're looking at like 2025 PE of what like, six or seven. So I, I think it's a compelling case, but really it stems around um, the need for this type of information. Like, do people really want to watch Gaia's content? Um, that's one of the main pieces. And then how many people want to watch Gaia's content? But basically the pitch, just that. The stock had at one point, I think a couple of years ago, had a big run in the, in the, like, the mid twenties, right? Yeah. So what happened was, um, Originally, it, they don't give churn numbers, which is a problem, but the churns there's a reason they don't give churn numbers. Um, so basically in 2017 or 2016, this company, or no, 2015, they sold off their other assets. They were focusing on a ton of other stuff like Gaium. I don't know if you heard about them, that they make like yoga mats and like yoga materials. So it was a well, somewhat diversified company. They sold off all their assets and then started to specifically focus on um the on-demand videos in regards to some of these topics. And so originally they were saying like, all right, we can get uh, pretty high growth rates, right? Um, so yeah, like the growth rates were like 50% year over year, I think up until like 2018, maybe even higher. Um, yeah, 2017 was 78%, 2018 was 60%. And so in 2018, like Q3 or Q4, um, the CEO and CFO said, we're now going to focus on 20 to 30% growth. Like they, they cut their growth target substantially. And that's what led to this fall in the stock. But I think that was a smart play because if, when I look at what the likely churn numbers were for that 80% or 70 to 60 to 70 growth rate in 2018 to 2017, I think I was annualizing um, churn at somewhere around 80%. So this company was growing super fast and that's why the market was interested and they were small. So they were allowed to get away with not having any real cash flow, but it wasn't a sustainable path because their churn rate was so high that they were just going to spend a ridiculous amount of money as new subscriber numbers kept on increasing. And so 
when they cut that number down to 20, 30%, people were uninterested because they had to factor in their models and that lowered their growth target. Cause I just don't think they were considering what the churn rate was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now if you look at it, they're growing this year, 21, 22%. And my calculation of their churn rate is, um, I think about 30%, which is still high. Like it's still a high um, churn rate. It's just coming down substantially. And at the same time, they're decreasing the amount they pay per additional subscriber and increasing the lifetime value of that subscriber. So I, I think there's a lot of things that could be potential like red flags to some extent for this company. But I think the price at which you're paying is a pretty asymmetric bet to the upside because really what you're assuming for their stock price um like the bear case that i have is you're basically assuming that although they said they're going to grow 20 percent moving forward or they think that's sustainable that by 2025 they're not going to be able to grow at all and their churn rate's still going to be about 30 percent and they're going to start paying more to per additional subscriber compared to what they're doing now so there's there's a lot of bearish uh projections based or baked into the stock price right now so that's that's why i'm interested excellent all right well thanks man i really appreciate that um so i uh, know what we'll do is we'll welcome the welcome the geo and look forward to working with you thanks no working on our report right now um hopefully we'll get that ironed out later this week a different company so bob are you there Right. I'm oh no! What's your uh, Twitter handle, Noah? Um, at Trader Noah. Okay, great. Very cool. All right, Maj, you want to land the plane? Where can people go and find more information on geo investing and to get their seven-day free trial? Yeah, just come to you know geoinvesting.com and there's a you just click on seven-day free trial. Uh, you can navigate through the site to see what kind of services we offer. Anywhere from a morning newsletter um, where we offer um, our research pipeline kind of news as well as portfolio uh, model portfolio moves we're making. We have to do a weekly wrap-up uh, newsletter uh, email every Sunday, which wraps up the whole week and offers new uh, ideas and new thoughts. Um, and uh, we have premium Twitter feed where you get our uh, real-time alerts uh, regarding our research and por- model portfolio um, additions and um, re- uh, removals. So. Uh, yeah, so uh, and you can also email me, emails us support at geoinvestment.com, and we can just send you information. Um, and you can always always call us too and talk to us um, at geoinvesting. So my my number is 267-246-3263. You can reach me there anytime, and uh, we can talk shop also. So very good. All right, you can see every episode of Avoiding the Crowd at avoidingthecrowd.podbean.com. That's where you can hear the audio version. And then you can also see every episode on geoinvesting.com now. So go there, go and watch every episode on there. You can see it on on the SNN Network YouTube channel. And uh, you can also see Maj sharing it on social media and his handle is at Maj Geoinvesting on Twitter. With that, that's enough plugs. I think we got a good wrap on what's going on today in the crypto markets. With that, Noah, Maj, Thank you, sirs. Thank you, guys. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network and Maj Don are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy, sell, short, cover securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value if we are long and fall if we are short. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast.